And it says, um, there was a man who sent a business friend flowers on the day of his grand opening. However, the order was handled badly by the florist and the businessman receiving the bouquet that was intended for a funeral. It was accompanied by a card that said, my deepest sympathy during this time of sorrow. <laughs> the man called his friend on the phone to wish him well, and his friend was confused. Why in the world did you send me these sympathy flowers? Asked the businessman. The man who had sent the flowers went immediately to the florist and demanded an explanation. I am terribly sorry about the mix-up with the flowers, said the florist, who was obviously upset, but I hope you will understand your situation. It is not half as bad as the one down at the funeral home. The folks down there received your flowers accompanied with a card that said, best wishes in your new location. <laughs> so again, just the funny, but along the lines of perspective, there's always somebody that's going through something worse. And sometimes our perspective can be so blinding and keep us isolated and keep us selfish, focused on just where we're at instead of what's really going on in the world around us. And so just a fun, just perspective tidbit there, but let's, let's, let's read our Bibles tonight. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.16 is where we're going to start. So that is, hey, good work, Riley. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5.16, that's our scripture from Conquer, um, but it's one of my favorite scriptures of all time, because if we would actually just apply these three little scriptures to our life every single day, we would live completely different. So three things here. Rejoice always. And then I pause. Because as we're reading tonight, I really want us to think about what we're reading, because we hear that a lot. Do we rejoice always? Are we always? Think back just to today. Did you rejoice all day today? Did we rejoice all day yesterday? Do we rejoice? Do we rejoice always, like the word says? We read that, but are we actually doing it? Let's go forward. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Some of us are like, I meant to, I knew I was forgetting something in my schedule for the last month. <laughs> Pray without ceasing. And then the last part of this says, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God, of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything, give thanks. Not for everything, in everything. Regardless of what we're going through, we're giving thanks. Okay, application portion. Five good things that happened in your day today that you are thankful for. Write them down. Ready, go. All right, we're going to move on. So five things that you're thankful for. It just changes our perspective a little bit. So our perspective should already be changing a bit about our day because we started our, our time together tonight by finding out what did God really do in my day today? Where did I see God at work? So our perspective changed from, and we don't say, this is all the things the enemy's doing in my life today. We just say, this is going wrong, and this is going wrong, and this is going wrong, and this is going wrong. But when we really stop and go, what, where did I see God at work? Then that's gonna make us kind of aware of where God's working throughout our days. But then when we stop and we're really, what am I actually genuinely thankful for? And I would challenge you, do this every day. Do it a couple times a day. Just these three things. This is the will of God for you. These three things that we would pray without ceasing, that we would rejoice always, and that in everything, regardless of what I'm facing, I have something to be thankful for. And not just generic. I'm thankful for God. I'm thankful for... And those are all good things to be thankful for. 
But what could you go even deeper and deeper and deeper of all the areas that you are genuinely thankful, especially when things are not going your way? All right, now let's flip over. We're going to go to Philippians 4.4. And it says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Okay, so we just read rejoice always. Well, now again, we hear Paul say rejoice in the Lord always. And then again, I say rejoice. Okay, he doesn't say just rejoice in whatever you want to rejoice in. He says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So he says it twice. It's kind of important. But before we go any farther with that, I want to talk about where Paul is actually saying this from. I've been studying out just the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians in the Bible is actually noted as the book of joy. That's what it's called. The book of joy. The book of joy was written in prison. Of all places the book of joy could be written from, it's written from prison. Okay, Paul's in prison when he's writing this. 13 times throughout the book of Philippians, we see the word joy used or the word rejoice. They're interchangeable in throughout Philippians. But so the book of joy is written from prison. So my challenge question with that, and I asked this at Conquer. Some of these are my Conquer notes, but there's a lot more. So if you were at Conquer, don't tune out because there's a whole lot more for you, I promise. But so if you were to ask yourself, in your prison seasons, in those seasons that you feel bound, in those seasons that you feel like there's no way out, in those seasons that you don't understand, in those seasons that seem unfair, in those seasons that you're facing, what book is being produced from your life? Is it a book of joy? Is it a book of disgruntledness? Is it a book of frustration? Is it a book of anger? Is it a book of fear? Is it a book of worry? In those seasons when things aren't quite going your way, whether your fault or not your fault, regardless of what they are, in those seasons, what book is being produced from your life? Because Paul shows us here, he produces the book of joy. And we're going to read through a bunch of it and break some things down. But his perspective throughout the, the book of Philippians is absolutely phenomenal. So as I've been reading it, I go, what, how was Paul able to respond? How was Paul able to produce a book of joy from a season that he's sitting in prison? Because there's a lot of things I would write in a situation that seemed unfair. A lot of things that I would write in the seasons that I don't know even if there is a way out and I'm so frustrated and there's just so much going on and it's coming at me from all sides and I don't, I didn't expect this. I didn't see this coming. There's a lot of things that I might write. There's a lot of things that I might speak. There's a lot of things that might come flowing out of my life. But is it fruit? Is love coming out? Is joy coming out? Is peace coming out? What is coming out? in those seasons. So Paul here, he's, he's in prison. Another thing that I want us to take note of is that Paul's kind of life goal was that he wanted to make it to Rome so that he could preach in Rome. At that point, Rome pretty much kind of ruled the world to say. And Paul, his, his heart, his desire is that if I can get Jesus to Rome, then the world will hear about, hear about Jesus. So his goal was to get Jesus to Rome. Okay, when he's in prison here, he is in fact in Rome, but instead of being there as a preacher, he's there as a prisoner, okay? He was doing the right thing, and now he's in a prison in Rome, not preaching in Rome like he thought he would be. Okay, that's kind of an upset to his plans, don't you think? 
So think about maybe some things that you're like, I know this is what God wants me to do. I know this is what God wants for my family. I know this is where we should be headed. And then it feels like you're in a season that's in the polar opposite of what you should be doing and where you should be heading and you never expected it to look like this. Okay, that's where Paul is. And it's in those seasons that Paul had every, he had all kinds of excuses he could have let out here. He could have said, I, I didn't deserve this. God's deserted me. And he could have blamed God right off the bat. How many of us blame God when we get into a situation that we feel like we're doing everything right? We're not, we're not intentionally doing anything wrong. We are doing to the best of our ability, being who God created us to be, and this is what's in front of us. This is what we're facing. And it's a frustrating season. Well, usually our first response is to blame God. We don't see that in the book of Philippians. Not one time does Paul say that it's God's fault. He's forsaken me. He's left me. Okay, so let's, let's pause there for a minute. And what, what is perspective? What is perspective? So per perspective is our way of seeing things. It's the way that we see a situation. And perspective can be based on your values. Perspective can be based on how you've been raised. Perspective can be ra uh, based on life experiences. Um... Perspective can be based on assumptions brought into a situation. Okay, your perspective can be based on a lot of things. But really, the way we see things, as a man thinks, so is he. As a man thinks, so is he. As a man thinks, so is he. Our perspective is going to come through our mind consistently. Our way of thinking will control how we see situations. Okay, so before we jump back in and look at Paul, I want to backtrack for a second because I want this to be very applicable to our lives tonight. I want us to be able to grab hold of this and go, how do I take this and apply it now? Because I asked myself this today, how many, what, how much of my perspective truly lines up with the word of God and how much of my perspective is a good idea, is based on experience, is based on what I've seen, is based on how I've, how I've been raised, and how much of my perspective is actually rooted in the Word of God. In all situations, in everything I face throughout my day, in all, in all hard situations, in all good situations, whether it's a job situation, whether it's a leadership situation, a marriage situation, a family situation, a finance situation, how much of my perspective is actually rooted in the Word of God? And so that would be a question I would ask you. How much of your perspective about things is actually rooted in the Word of God? Because left to our own, outside of the Word of God, you're going to find some people that are going to agree with you on some things, but you'll not find a person that has your identical perspective on every issue you face in life. It's not going to happen. Paul tells us, and we'll see that in Philippians, but he says to be of the same mind. He talks about having unity. Okay, well, that's impossible outside of the Word of God. So think about your marriage. Think about your family. Think about those areas in your life that when you face a situation, if your perspective is not rooted in the Word of God, you will probably have opposing perspectives. Your thoughts at why? Because we're raised, if I use my marriage, Orrin was raised different than I was raised. It was similar but we had different values. We have different ways that we were raised. We were taught different things. There were different assumptions surrounding our lives. We've been through different things. Now, it doesn't mean that either of us went through anything more difficult or less difficult than the other, but it means that our life experiences have formed perspectives that are opposing. 
So when we face a situation in life, when we're facing decisions, when we're facing these things, if we have opposing perspectives, how are we supposed to move forward in unity? Outside of the word of God. But if both of us say, I choose to line my perspective up with the word of God, this is actually where it's even going to come from. Then when we face situations, when we face hardships, when we're trying to make decisions, when we're trying, regardless of what area of our life it is, then we can have unity. Okay, think about the body of Christ as a whole. Okay, our purpose is always people. We are the church. The building's not the church. We're the church. You've heard that preached. Okay, so when we're spreading the gospel, when we are preaching to people outside of here, when we are sharing with people in our workplace, when we're sharing with people in our schools, when we're sharing with people on vacation, wherever we're at, when we are spreading the love of Christ to the people around us, if our perspective is not rooted in the word of God, then whose perspective are you sharing? Is it yours? Is it great grandma's? Is it the preacher's? Is it whose, whose perspective is being shared? Then hard things happen. And we wonder, I'm trying to do things in here. I'm trying. And then hard things happen. And then all of a sudden we see people going, they're falling off the deep end. They don't know where God is. God left them. And then we don't know why we're facing the things we are. And then everything's grumbling. Everything's complaining. And we've lost sight of everything that the word of God says. And pretty soon we get to the place that we don't even believe what God says is true. Why? Because I've allowed my perspective based on what I'm facing to form how I'm going to respond. Our perspective is very important, and our perspective being grounded in the word. So how do we get this perspective? Let's look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Very popular verse, but something that I don't think we take seriously enough in our day-to-day -day lives. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, so we just saw what the will of God was, right? In 1 Thessalonians, it said, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for your lives. Okay, we just saw what it was. Now at the end of this scripture... It says that you, may able, that you may be able to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So not only do we know what it is, now this tells me that I have the ability to walk out in my life and prove the perfect will of God throughout life. So not only do I know what it is, but I have the ability to walk it out. I have the ability to prove it to everybody around me. Okay, we have that ability, but here's what it, what it says before that. And this is the part that we hear a lot, but are we really doing it? Do not be conformed to this world. Another translation says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. So think about perspective for a minute. Do not be conformed to this world. Right now, our perspective is conformed to something or someone. Our perspective is conformed to the pattern of the world if it's not conformed to the word of God. So it says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, then our perspective is transformed. How do we do it? Through the word of God. 
the importance of the word constantly in our lives. When it says, do not let meditate on this day and night, do not let it depart from your eyes, bind it around your neck. When the, the importance of the word of God in our lives changes how we're gonna see people, how we're gonna see things because our perspective will begin to line up with the word of God. The Bible says that we should have the mind of Christ. If you have the mind of Christ, then that means that my mind is in unity with the mind of Jesus. For my mind to be in unity with the mind of Jesus, first of all, I got to know who he is. I got to know what he says about me. I got to know what he thinks about me because then if I know who he is and then I know who I am and I know what his word says and I understand the promises and the things that I have access to, then my perspective and my mind can line up with him. And now not only do I have the mind of Christ, I have the perspective of Christ to face life. See, there's God has so much more for each and every one of our lives than to get knocked back every time we face something, than to live our lives frustrated, to live our lives exhausted, to live our lives confused, to live our lives barely making it through each and every day because we're just gonna go through the same thing tomorrow and there's nothing to look forward to. And that's how so many of us live, but God has so much more in store when the book of joy can be written from prison. He has so much more for our lives, so much more. So. Let's flip back over to Philippians because I want to look at some things in here that we see from Paul and his perspective. I was just in Philippians and it suddenly fell out of my Bible. Just give me a minute. All right, there it is. Okay, and I'm going to start, I want to read, I'm going to read 1-6, and it says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as it is right for me to think of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch both in my chains and in the defense, in confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me in grace." But being confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, again, scripture we hear uh, repetitively, a scripture that we hear all the time, do we really believe it? Is our perspective back this up? When we face situations, is the first thing out of our mouth going, no, if God started it in me, he's going to complete it. He can't go back on his word. Or is our first words, God left me. He forgot that he gave me an assignment. Now, let's read on here. Okay, this next part, can we put up in the Amplified? Um, I should probably tell you where it is. Let's read 12 through 18 in the Amplified. 1, 12 through 18. And this is the cool part. So, this, so we just read that from Paul. And he says that he who has begun something in you is faithful to complete it. Okay, how, again, he's in prison. So how can he say this from prison? Let's look. And it says, now I want you to know and continue to rest assured, brethren, that what has happened to me, this imprisonment has actually only served to advance and give a renewed impetuous to the spreading of the good news of the gospel. So much is this a fact that throughout the whole imperial, imperial guard and to all the rest here, my imprisonment has become generally known to be in Christ, that I am a prisoner in his service and for him. 
And also, most of the brethren have derived fresh confidence in the Lord because of my chains and are much more bold to speak and publish fearlessly the word of God, acting with more freedom and indifference to the consequences. Okay, we're going to pause there and then we're going to come back to that. Okay, so he just said, we just read, being confident in this very thing that he who has begun a good work in me will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now I told you, Paul's mission was to get to Rome, right? He wanted to reach Rome because now the Gentiles can hear about the word of God. So he knows the whole world can hear. And if he can get the word to Rome, the whole world will hear. But he goes to Rome and instead of preaching in Rome, he's a prisoner in Rome. Here's his perspective. He knows that God has called me to make the gospel get to Rome. He knows that God has a plan. He knows that God has a purpose. And look at his perspective from prison. We just read it, that it wasn't that, ah, oh, everything's delayed. Everybody get to Rome as fast as you can so that they can hear about Jesus because I got stuck in prison. Okay, that wasn't his problem solving. His response to being in prison is in Rome is that, hey, this has actually turned out so cool because now every guard that's in here has come to the knowledge of Jesus and they throw Romans in prison just like they threw me in prison. And so all of them get Jesus preached to them and they just think that I'm their prisoner. Really, they're my prisoner because they're gonna hear the word of God the entire time they're in here and I'm not gonna stop. And so now from prison, from a place that he doesn't want to be a place that he's not supposed to be, a place that it was not on his plan. Okay, Paul did not say, you know, I think God wants me to go to Rome. I think I'll go to jail. That was not his plan. He was going to go to Rome, but got thrown in prison for doing the right thing. Anybody ever feel like you're boxed in? Some, anybody ever feel like there's no way out? Anybody ever feel like you're facing an unfair circumstance and you were just doing the right thing. You're doing everything you know to do, and now this thing seems impossible. Okay, that's where Paul is right here, and he goes, hey, you know, rest assured that even in prison, that the, the gospel is being spread. Okay, another perspective that he has, and this is actually my favorite one. Some, it is true, actually preach Christ, the Messiah, for no better reason than out of envy and rivalry party spirit, but others are doing it so out of a loyal spirit and goodwill. The latter proclaim Christ out of love because they recognize and know that I am providentially put here for the defense of the good news of the gospel. But the former preach Christ out of a party spirit, insincerely, out of no pure motive, but thinking to annoy me, supposing they are making my bondage more bitter and my chains more galling. But what does it matter so long as either way, whether in pretense for personal ends or in all honesty for the furtherance of the truth, Christ is being proclaimed. And then, and in that, I now rejoice. Yes, I shall rejoice. Okay, so another perspective change here. Okay, there's people that because Paul's thrown in prison are preaching the gospel just to annoy him. They're preaching it like, hey, you have fun in prison, buddy. We're still out here. Okay, another point that, I mean, could maybe bring out some griping or grumbling or complaining, or I think he probably all thought that they were a piece of coal. Um, that was his heart. He was like, they're all just coal. But no, his perspective is really like, <laughs> joke's on them. They think they're doing it to get at me. They're spreading Jesus. It's getting spread regardless, whether they're doing it out of the goodness of their heart or they're doing it because they're just trying to get me. 
they're spreading Jesus. Okay, again, just a perspective shift. Paul is in prison, but the perspective that he has. How does he do it? Because he has a renewed mind. He has the mind of Christ. Let's keep going. See what else he says about perspective here. Okay, let's look at 312. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Okay, again here, we see this perspective that he's not whining about his situation. Okay, in the entire book of Philippians, this is incredible to me, you never actually hear Paul talk about his prison circumstances. You never hear him talk about his prison conditions. You can read all of Philippians and outside of reading a commentary that did studies on what they were like during that time, Paul never says it stinks. He never says it's dirty. He never says it's cold. He never says it's hot. He never actually mentions the fact that he's chained to a guard at this time. We know that because of commentaries. He's chained to a guard 24 seven watched and he's writing the book of joy. Never talks about his circumstance. But now, again, let's make this applicable to us in our circumstances, in our prison moments, in those things that we face that are unexpected. Do we talk about the conditions of our prison or do we talk about where God's taking us? Because Paul talked about where God was taking him. He said, no, he's faithful to complete it. And then he says, but look what he's doing even in the midst of this prison. He had such a different perspective where he wasn't focused on what was happening to him in that moment. He wasn't focused on what the enemy was doing. He wasn't focused on the circumstances surrounding him. He was focused on what God was doing even in the midst of prison. Guys, this is powerful. If we could grab hold of this and face life this way, every single day that we would be able to say, in the midst of what I'm facing, look at what God's doing. In the midst of what I'm going through, God's gonna complete what he started in me. In the mix of what I'm going to, I'm gonna forget those things that are back here and I'm looking forward to things that are up here. Perspective, right? The word perspective, that's our title. That's what we're talking about. If you break it down and look at the root word is perceive and the Latin actually means to see through. So when you're looking at perspective, too many times we're looking at what we're facing with face value. But perspective is actually looking through your situation to see what's on the other side. But we live life looking what's right here. What's right in front of me? It's too big. God's not big enough. God's already left. I'm so hopeless. I'm so disheartened. Paul never says those things. We say those things. Paul never mentioned those things. But to have perspective that lines up with the word of God is to see beyond what we're facing right here. To have perspective is to see, I see through this and I see to the other side. See, we can't control what has happened to us and we can't control what's gonna happen to us because it's not done. Stuff is gonna keep happening to you. Stuff is gonna keep happening to us. I'm not prophesying the negative. The Bible tells us that. In this world, you're gonna have trouble. You're gonna face things. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Okay, we know we're gonna face things. Stuff's gonna come up, but what we do know is there's always another side. Jesus always says, there's another side. There's another side. There's another side. Here's another part of Paul's perspective, and I didn't write it down because I actually wasn't gonna use it, but now I'm gonna use it. But in Philippians, another point of his perspective, he said, I'm kind of having an internal struggle. And I'm like, oh, he's struggling. Perfect, we relate. No, his struggle was, 
I really love living for Jesus here, but I'd much rather be with him. So I don't know if I'd rather live or die. That's his perspective in his situation going, I love my Jesus so much. I really love being here in prison. It's really all not that bad. Things are going great. People are learning about Jesus, but I don't know that I want to stay here. I kind of want to die so I can be with Jesus, but I kind of want to stay here so people hear about Jesus. That's the struggle that Paul's having. It's not that he's chained to a guard and can't use the restroom. It's that he doesn't know if he'd rather live or die to be with Jesus. The perspective is so different, but do we see the life that even comes from that perspective? When we're reading this and we're going, man, I, I want that, but it almost seems, as I was reading this, as I've been studying this the last couple months, it seems impossible. That I, I don't even know how to live with that perspective. I don't know how to live with the perspective that, man, I, I got put in the hospital and I didn't want to be here and I don't know why I'm here, but hey, why not preach to the nurse why I'm here? That's what Paul's saying here. That in every circumstance, every unfair circumstance, it's not about us. It's still about Jesus. And he understood that. And so with our, our little tagline under here, with our, our title, Perspective, Prisoner Purpose, is our perspective keeping us in an impossible situation? Or is our perspective pushing us towards our purpose? Because Paul's perspective did not keep him in prison. Paul's perspective got him out to the other side. And we can allow our situations that we're facing and our perspective of those situations, the perspective of the encounters we have on a daily basis to keep us in prison to our circumstances. And you'll see people, you see them and maybe you can attest to it. And this isn't a judgy message. I told you it's an encouraging message that no one wants to hear. So in this circumstance, you can find yourself and you're like, man, I was trucking along and I was trusting God and things were going really, really good until I hit this circumstance. And I'm still there. Why? Because our perspective was never on our purpose. Our perspective was on our prison. So we got to change our thinking. Again, we cannot change what has happened to us. We cannot change. The past, it's done. It's over with. Stop living there. It's gone. But we can't change what's coming either we can change our response to what's coming. We can change our perspective for what's coming, that I don't care what comes my way. I'm gonna see through it, I'm gonna see my purpose, and I'm gonna see Jesus. And we have that ability by renewing our mind. All right, let's keep going. Um, let's look at 2.12 through 14. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not, mu not as much in my presence, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Okay, pause there for a minute. Work out your own salvation. Okay, perspective a lot of times, when our perspective is problematic or our perspective keeps us in prison, the reason that it does is because we play the blame game. Everything that we are in life, everything that we walk through, everything that we face is always someone else's fault. Paul shows us here that a heavenly perspective is that I take responsibility for who I am, for where I am, and where I'm going. I don't put it on anybody else. It's not anybody's problem but mine. 
Now, yeah, we all face things. We were all raised in homes and there's things that happen to us that we have no control over. But we have control now to walk out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That we take responsibility and not blame everybody around us and everything around us and every situation around us, the government around us, the system around us. It's not their problem. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because we serve a God that is much bigger than that. And when we keep ourselves based on our perspective to keep us in prison of our situations, then we allow all of those things to become our God and rule everything about us. But when we choose to have a perspective that's based on the purpose of God, then it doesn't matter. These things don't move us. These things, we, we don't face things the same way as the world faced them. We don't face situations. We don't face crisis the same way because we have a different perspective. Okay. How else did Paul have this perspective? Let's keep going. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things without complaining and disputing. How many times did you complain today? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> You're all still human. Excellent. I was making sure I wasn't preaching to saints. We're going to switch places. Okay. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. But we saw before, it says that in all things give thanks, right? In all things give thanks. Do all things without grumbling and without complaining. Okay, another fun fact to pause here. Um, this wasn't the first time Paul's been in prison. <laughs> he was a frequent flyer. They even gave him a punch card. But so he was in there quite a bit. Before when he was in prison, in Acts 16, we find that he's in prison because he cast the demon out of a girl. Again, you know, just doing his good duty, according to the word of God, and gets thrown in prison. And it says at the midnight hour, okay, they were beaten with rods. They were stripped of their clothing. So I wonder, how many situations are we in that we feel like we've been stripped of our clothing? We feel like we've been beaten up. It doesn't have to be physical, okay? Emotional, mentally, whatever that we're facing where we go, man, I feel like I've taken a beating. I feel like this year has given me a beating. I feel like we all face those things. Okay, but here's what happens. They, and they get put in prison. Sometimes we read that flippantly. Like how many broken bones do you think they had? Like they were beat with rods. Broken bones, I'm sure. Stripped of their clothing. And they're sitting in prison. It says at the midnight hour, Paul's like, hey, yo. Want to have an encounter night of worship? What a perspective this guy has. This is before he's in prison right now where we're reading he's in prison. This is before that time. So he's in prison for, again, doing the right thing. And he says, hey, let's worship. Why? Because Paul's the one that says, rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. So I have to wonder if Silas was really on board with this idea. Because it never says what Silas says. It says they started worshiping. And I just wonder if Silas was, because it would be me, like, there you go with that rejoicing again. We got to put ourselves in the story. They're much more hilarious that way. But he's in there and they, they want to worship at midnight. They want to worship while they're in chains. They're going to worship after they've been beaten. They're going to worship at the midnight hour. Keep in mind, they weren't free when they chose to praise and thank. The walls hadn't come down when they, prose, when they chose to praise and thank. And too often our perspective in our situation tells us, I'll thank God when I see the answer. I'll praise God when I get to the other side. I'll praise God when he actually backs up what he told me in that book. 
and that's what our attitude is. I've done my part. I prayed, I asked him to do this and I ain't seen it, so I ain't praising. And that's how we live. Paul's in prison and he chooses to have a worship session at the darkest time. When they start worshiping, it says the prison walls came down. Prison walls come down and they don't run and hide. Paul's like, oh, that poor guard doesn't know Jesus. Let's go tell him. He's clearly, he's like, they can punch my card again when they throw me back in here for not escaping. He's just after the points. That's what it was. No, he, his perspective was so much different. When we get set free from our, when we're facing this situation, we've been held, we've been in prison, we've been in this, these, and I don't know what yours are. We all face problems. But in that circumstance, that when we're facing that situation, that when we see the answer, when we see those things fall, are we like, good, all right, God, until the next crisis. But we do. Instead of going, who do I get a minister on my way out? Who needs Jesus on my way out? That's the perspective that I live with because just because the walls, Paul's purpose wasn't for the walls to come down. He didn't know what was gonna happen. It was a surprise attack. That wasn't his purpose. And so many times our perspective is just to get the problem solved. It's not about the problem being solved because our perspective should still be the purpose of God. So do you see that our purpose is even bigger than our situation being solved for us? It's praising and thanking and rejoicing always and in everything, giving thanks and praying without ceasing before the walls come down, while the walls come down, after the walls come down and repeat. That our perspective can change. How? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Does your mind line up with the word of God? Does your perspective line up with the word of God? I know that sounded like my closing voice, but we're not closing. We have a little more. <laughs> I know you were confused. You're like, thank heavens. Nope, not done yet. Do all things without complaining. All of you were complaining that I'm still going. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights to the world, holding fast to the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. I have not run and labored in vain. Man, just gets better and better and better. Okay, so the problems that we face, the circumstances we face are really opportunities in disguise if we go off of what Paul's saying. That they're not problems. Okay, here's the thing. When you're in a problem and you just think about your problem, you actually train your mind to only think about problems. Crazy, right? You will train your mind to only think about problems. You will train your mind to only think about negativity. We naturally think about the negativity. That's how the human mind works because we're born into a fallen world. That's another reason that it's important to renew our mind. But when we see our problems as opportunities, we reroute our mind to see things according to the word of God. So then when a problem arises, our automatic response is that, oh look, an opportunity. Okay, so I told you I've been studying this for a while, right? I've been praying this out and I write that line in my note. I'm not even making this up. I write that line in my notes. I put, our problems are an opportunity in disguise. And my phone goes off. Uh, the teachers say, oh, hey, I can't come to class tonight. 
problem is an opportunity in disguise. <laughs> so I didn't complain. And then I got another text. I can't be at class tonight. These problems are really getting out of control. So then I was like, God, I just would like not so many opportunities to solve problems each day. <laughs> okay. But so literally as I wrote this, we face things. But what if our perspective was really that? <laughs> okay, I just have to call this out because Brandon has this delayed laugh and Leo does too. So then everybody laughs and we move on and then Brandon and Leo are like <laughs> And it's really hard for the speaker to continue with what we're doing here. <laughs> and every speaker will attest to it. I just, I just had to point it out as we're going. <laughs> All right, let's look at 3.7. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Perspective again. How often do the decisions, does our perspective when we're making decisions, is it based on the things that I might lose if I were to do what the word said? Perspective. Because our perspective say these things mean so much to me. These things that I have, this, this money, this possession, this opportunity, this job, these things mean so much to me that if I applied the word of God, I might lose them. Or is our perspective, I count it all as rubbish that I may gain Christ. I don't care where I got to go. I don't care what I got to give up. I don't care where, what my life has to look like. I want Jesus. That's a perspective that's based on the purpose of God. A couple more and we're done. Philippians 4, 6. All right, we're going to read 4 again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Sounds very familiar, right? In everything. Be anxious for nothing. Again, we're gonna, we're gonna pause there because we read about the complaining. No grumbling, no complaining. We, we read about Loving others, we read about the, the perspective shift that Paul's had. But then this one here, be anxious for nothing. How many of us were anxious or worried today about something? <laughs> oh, you don't have to raise your hands. It's rhetorical. <laughs> thank, thank you for the participation, though. That was excellent. I was, too. Um, be anxious for nothing. What about our perspective? would cause us to be anxious. See, if, our, if we're anxious about situations that we're facing, if we're anxious, it reveals 
a lack of peace, right? Which means our perspective isn't lined up with the word of God. Our perspective is lined up in the prison of our circumstance. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. The peace of God will even guard your perspective through Christ Jesus. And then it tells us what to meditate on. Because again, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate on these things. What are we meditating on? Again, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I'm going to have everybody go ahead and stand with me. But when we're, as we're wrapping up with our perspective here, I want us to really focus in on what, what we're meditating on. Does my mind line up with the word of God? Or does my mind line up with my circumstance? Is my mind lined up with what I've been told about my circumstance? Is my mind lined up with what my own thoughts are about my circumstance? Does my mind lined up about the worst case scenario in my circumstance? What is our mind lined up with? Meditate on these things, it says. See, the thing about our perspective is that when we're facing something, and I don't discredit what we're facing because I know we're all facing very real things, very hard things, very unexpected things, very things that we never thought we'd be facing. Everybody in this room is facing something different. And we hide it and we keep it, but I think we would be shocked if we actually got the behind the scenes glimpse in everybody's life on the things that we're facing and the things that we're dealing with. So I don't discredit any of those. But until our God becomes bigger than our circumstance in our mind, you will never see him bigger than your circumstance in the world. Because as long as our circumstance is bigger up here, we'll never allow him to be bigger out here. We'll always have a backup plan. We'll always live in anxiety. We'll always live in fear. We'll always stay in worry. And we'll always stay in the prison of our circumstances. But when we find out who God is, when we really get in the word and go who he is, don't just read the stories. If you're going, where does it tell me who he is? Okay, read the story and look at the characteristics of God. Write them down on the side of your Bible. The characteristics, read David and Goliath. Sometimes we focus on David. David ain't God. He's not going to save you right now. God will. So who was God to David? Then read Daniel in the lion's den. Who was God to Daniel? Who was God to Esther? Who was God, etc. And then write that down. And it's the same God that's God to you. That regardless of what we're facing, that my God is bigger. But until we know who he is here and believe who he is here, our perspective will not line up. Our perspective will always end us in prison instead of getting us to our purpose. Does that make sense? A couple quick things. I just want to, because I want to, I don't want you to leave with, okay, so how do I even do this? A couple of just quick practical things. So you face a problem, you face a situation. And think about this for a minute. This is why I have you standing, because sometimes when you're writing things down, and I know you'll want to write these things down. If you want them, text me, I'll send them to you. But I want you to actually hear my words. So you face a situation. 
and put yourself there in your mind. You face this problem. Maybe you're facing a problem right now. Maybe it's a problem you're going to face in the future because you just got through one or a previous problem you face, but you face this problem. Okay. If you just react, it will be based on your previous perspective. So a problem comes up, something you're facing and you immediately react to it. It'll be based on what your previous perspective was because we haven't retrained our perspective yet. So instead of reacting, take a pause. Look at your circumstance. Okay. And then point number two, identify the situation. What is actually happening? What is the circumstance? What is actually happening? And identify where's the enemy at work here? Point it out. Instead of just reacting to the circumstance that you don't know who the enemy is because then you're going to make someone else out to be your enemy that's not even the enemy, so take a pause. Don't just react. Identify what is actually happening. Okay? And then, number three, identify your automatic responses because by this point, you'll be gurgling emotions. <laughs> People will think you're foaming at the mouth and growling at them. Just explain to them that you're pausing to assess the situation. <laughs> you're not actually mad and foaming at them. It's just your emotions gurgling up. So take note of your automatic responses. And every thought that does not line up with the word of God, take it captive. Three quick things you can do when you face something. Pause. Identify what's actually happening. And is what is foaming out of my mouth lining up with the word of God? Or do I need to take it captive? Or spit it out, depending on how much foam is there. It's totally your call. Don't choke. But those three things that you can, that you can do just quickly. So a couple things to close here. I want to I pray to close. And then I'm going to have Brandon, once we go off of live stream, I'm going to have him play one song because a lot of times we hear things here. We praise in the middle of our battle. We praise in the middle of our storm. We want to worship. We want to, and we say those things, but sometimes we don't actually take the time to do them. And so I don't want to leave here tonight. I want to give everybody an opportunity, regardless of what you're facing. And if you're not in the middle of a problem right now, excellent. You'll probably have one tomorrow. So you should worship ahead of time. Okay. And if you just got through one, excellent again. Worship anyway, because you just got through it, okay? So we're gonna, I'm gonna have Brandon play a song, but our perspective is huge, guys. This is truly, truly, truly life-changing. And if you were to think about, and I meant to have you do it earlier tonight, and I didn't, but if you were to think about whatever it is that you're facing right now, and you changed your perspective and you shifted it a little bit, how is that thing an opportunity? How is that thing an opportunity. And you might have to think about it because your initial response is, it's not. It's an opportunity to fail. It's an opportunity. What is the opportunity that lines up with the Word of God? What does God say about the other side of your situation? See through it. Don't look at it at face value. See through it. See it through the other side. So I'm going to pray to close, and then I'm going to have Brandon play this song. And at the end of the song, you're free to leave. But what I would like you to do is I want you to listen to the words of the song. Feel free to worship however you'd like. If you want to sit down, if you want to stand, if you want to lift your hand, if you want to tap your toe, I really don't care. But focusing on God, but focusing on what the words of the song are actually saying. Super, super, super powerful song. But 
in worshiping and in praising God, sometimes it's just another way for us to complain. See, the thing about Paul is that he wasn't worshiping because his situation had ended. He wasn't worshiping because he knew the walls were going to fall down. He was worshiping God simply for who he was. And sometimes we miss that in our lives. That we worship for what we want done. We worship for what he has done. But we forget to worship him simply for who he is. And in the next time he was in prison in Philippians where we were talking about, you know, sometimes we live life too that, you know, God didn't show up this time. He showed up last time. And that would have been very easy for Paul to use as an excuse. That I saw the prison walls come down already. Why won't you do it now? But see, he wasn't concerned about the outcome of his imprisonment. He was concerned still about the purpose of God. He was concerned about what God was doing. He, his focus was still on who God was, not what he had done in the past. The other thing that would have been very easy, and as I was praying, I felt like I was, the tissue box is really in my way and I keep kicking it, so I'm just going to get it out of the way. As I was praying, one of the things that I felt like God really did on my heart, and I don't know who in here or somebody watching live stream, but another thing that Paul could have done was I deserve the imprisonment because of my past. I deserve to be here because of who I was before. We know who Paul was before. He persecuted Christians. He knew exactly what to expect in prison. He put people there. Think about Paul's past there for a minute. And so he felt like, and he, or he didn't, we could. He could have used the excuse if his perspective was not lined up with the word of God, if his mind was not renewed to the word of God. The excuse could have been used that I deserve to be in the situation that I am because of what I did there. If that is true, then Jesus' sacrifice meant nothing. Because God doesn't see us as a result of our sin. He doesn't see us as a result of our mistake. He sees us as a result of the blood of Jesus. And so I want just to encourage, I don't know if that's someone here, if that's someone on live stream, but I know that that was laid on my heart today, that that could have been a thing that Paul used in his circumstance, that even in his perspective, and you mistakenly make it a humble thing, that I don't deserve for God to really let me out of here, show up and move because I deserve to be here because of what happened here. Not true. It does not say that God completes the work in those that haven't messed up already. It says that he is faithful to complete it.